It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay and I'm joined by my co-host Michael Steindl. G'day Kay. And Natalie. Good afternoon. Today we're talking about sustainable houses as the Sustainable House Open Day is on this coming Sunday. Brett Machado has just finished building his energy freedom home in Mount Gambia and he's going to discuss his experiences. Welcome Brett, thanks for joining us today. So Brett, you've been interested in the sustainability area for quite a while. Can you tell our listeners what got you interested in it initially? Oh, just a general care for the environment and wishing we could do do better for the planet and, and make a smaller footprint on the earth as we go. Ten years ago, we had uh, solar panels at, at our house in, installed and one of the electricians said, you're mad, why would you do it down here? And now you look around the neighbourhood and nearly every fourth house has got them. So mm, You're a leader. I think, yeah, we like to be uh, guinea pigs. Mm. <laughs> and so, Brett, this has led into when you want to build your house, you want to make it as sustainable as possible. Tell us about that. Well, we had an extra child, so un- unplanned, and we thought we'd better move the house before they all start fighting. So <laughs> we designed something that uh, we'd learnt a little bit along the way. Um, and as you do in a house, you always wish the PowerPoint was in a different spot or a window is somewhere different. So we, we started from scratch, and, and the more we, we read about sustainable homes and, and passive house and having the bedrooms on, on the south and then your living room in the north, large windows in the facing the facing the north and uh, concrete slab as our as our thermal mass. We just tried to tie all those things together and we, we discovered a structurally insulated panel product which claimed to be like an esky and we thought, well, if it's an esky in summer, we can keep the heat inside in winter and, and Mount Gambia most of the year we want to heat. So maybe seven, eight months of the year we want to heat the home. So we thought if that works in reverse, we'll try that product. So we looked around a little bit for um, structurally insulated panel products and came across a few things and we landed with what we've got today. So when you oriented your house to the north, what rooms did you put on the north side and what rooms did you put on the south side? All our bedrooms are on the south side. So we've got four bedrooms and then all our living area, it's an open plan living, so... We can see from the kitchen into the dining room. It's really one long rectangle, about 20, 20 metres, semi-divided uh, two-thirds of the way. So we've got kitchen, living, uh, kitchen, dining, living, and then a rumpus room and leading down to the laundry, sort of a, another little bit of a space down there. Okay, so on the east and west sides, you've got minimal exposure so you don't get the hot sun in the mornings and afternoons. West side, we've got an ensuite window, which is 
maybe a, a metre wide by about uh, 500. And we'll, we'll look into shading that because that, you can definitely feel the sun come through there in, in summer. But you can imagine, we can imagine what it would be like if it was a very large west window. Mm-hmm. And on the east window, we've got a small laundry laundry window. Sort of, there is a bit of a window there, but it's sort of shaded by a lot of trees. Um, we're, we're in a gully sort of thing, so the east, the morning sun doesn't give us a problem. And then the afternoon sun is over the other side of the hill. And you've got double glazing on all the windows anyway. Double glazing, yep. And, Brett, and this, heavy drapes. Uh, mm. This program's uh, neatly timed for sustainability and house day this weekend. I understand some of your research was actually visit, visiting sustainable houses. Well, we we did visit a couple houses and, and we uh, read about some of them. We looked at ground source heat exchanges. There was a house out at Glencoe that, that ran a pipe uh, about 50 metres through the ground and he used that as an air conditioner. And uh, you'd I think there was a show on um, one of the SBS or the ABC Australia's greenest home or, or the world's greenest homes, and and just coming across all of those ideas and looking at what we could do without being too extreme, but and and what can be done. Yeah, because the ground source heat pumps only work in certain regions in Australia, don't they? Well, after investigating, it was going to be pretty costly. You would want. I think. I think it would work anywhere because you've got the. Yeah. The oh, sorry. Effect, as effectively, it's, it works much better when you've got quite a range of temperatures. Uh, I, think. I think it would probably be best in like uh, sub-zero areas, but but for us, we you need to excavate a lot of ground. We, I think you you need to lay about for our square meterage. You would need to lay about eight hundred meters of pipe mm. for for the for the hydronics to go through. Yeah, I think that's the, the problem, isn't it? That they, um, they're they a fantastic idea and they take advantage of the almost constant uh, temperature of the earth if you go down a bit deeper. But um, to do that, you know, a, a massive capital investment, a, a lot of pipe work sunk over long distances in the ground and then a very substantial heat pump to be able to we, pull that heat in, out or put it back in. So we could have drilled holes, but that was, uh, I think it was about 23 to $24 a, a metre, and, and we needed uh, 800 metres. So we could have had four four holes at uh, 200 metres, oh, no, 40 metres each or 50 yep. metres each. Yeah, it just wasn't going to work here. On a different block of land, we're, we're in rough, rocky ground, so we don't mm-hmm. know if that would have worked. So we sort of scrapped that idea and we, we uh, uh, stuck with a... Uh, air sourced heat pump and um, hydronics in the in the slab, which we've got a foil board underneath the slab. Mm, that was so a... we're not heating the soil underneath, so that all reflects up. So we are really like an SQ. We've got the the foam walls, the foam under the slab, and the foam foam roof, the ceiling panels. So on on that slab, um, that's that's a really important one. Putting the the foam under the concrete, but not just that. Um, you insulated the edges of the slope, didn't you? And that was important. I did read, uh, I, I've read or heard that you lose about 80% of your heating through your slab edge. And I have felt that in uh, another home we lived in. Uh, it, it sort of had a, a balcony with a, the slab would extend out outside. And that would be like sort of like the weather vanes and an air conditioning, um, you know, the, the metal parts of the air conditioner where the 
the evaporative would go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so we thought, oh, for for a minimal expense, we can stick a bit of foam around the slab edge. Mm-hmm. And Brett, tell us about the wall construction. The wall construction is a, a six panel. It's uh, it's the external wall is just a a 140mm piece of foam and on each side of the foam it's a 0.6mm facing and the, there's a track that we attach to the, the concrete floor and then we put the, the panel up into, into the wall and then screw that to the track with a few props up until you get some corners corners ready to go. Yeah, it's a one-step one system. Mm. So you've got the inside wall, the outside wall and the insulation in the middle all at once. All at once, yep. It's just one panel. Great. And how does the cabling run? Well, you do have to plan for that a little bit ahead. So we, we worked out where we wanted our power points and, and uh, we ran that underneath the slab and came up through the edge. And then for the lighting, that, that left us room for the lighting. There is a cavity. There's like a T-section, T-section of steel, which leaves you, uh, say, 40 mil. You could run a 40 mil conduit down there. That's where all the lighting goes. But we we just planned ahead where we wanted the power point to make sure it came up through there. And, and, and plumbing? Just, um, and plumbing again, yeah, we, we uh, had a sort of like an island bench and we knew where that was going to go. So so when you do want to go into the walls, that you, you can chase them and then use a heat gun to melt the foam for, for the areas that you need to get through. But a lot of our plumbing was on the external walls anyway. So there, there was a, a couple tricky spots, which we did put in a timber frame and a, uh, we, we dropped the ceiling just to run all the, all the tricky spots in there. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it's a disguised sort of hidden, a hidden wall and a, uh, we, we had a, uh, a recess in the wall as well for, uh, you know, shampoo bottles, etc. in the, in the bathroom. So, mm-hmm. We thought we can we can run it through there and, and save a lot of save a lot of so so yeah some cabling issues but but otherwise once once you've got the hang of it it was like okay we wouldn't need the light there we need the light there run the conduit there melt the foam and clip it in and connect the walls together and connect the roof together and what sort of how does it compare to the standard insulated wall construction in terms of our rating, yes. Our rating on the walls, the the 140 mil walls, are 3.9, and then the 150 mil uh, roof panels are 4.2 R rating. Hmm, that's good. So that, for the layperson, how does that compare with normal wall, typical wall well, construction? Well, you you can choose what you want to do with your insulation on your. In, in say a studded home, you can you can put um, any range of insulation, I suppose, up to the to meet the minimum standards, star standards, uh, energy rating. Also, I think sometimes that insulation could drop a little bit over the years, so you might they might build up with dust. Or I've been into demolished some buildings, and when you pull away a, an old gyprock wall, you see the the um, insulation has dropped down. It's settled. Maybe. 20 mil, yeah. Mm. So unless you get it in there perfect, it may say it's a, an R mm. rating of 3.5, but that once that foam drops, you've got a, an air gap there. Mm-hmm. So how does, it, how does it rate compared to a traditional? That's up to you what you want to put in your studded wall. There's a range of um, R ratings. 
And what about in terms of, of cost of that wall, both in raw cost of materials and construction effort compared to a traditional wall? Well, a traditional wall, you've got to you've got to have your timber frames up, then you've got to run your wires and your, and your plumbing, then you've got to insulate it and you put your um, thermal wrap around it, and then you've got to brick your wall, then you've got to gyp rock your internal wall, then you've got to uh, fill all those joints. So, cost-wise, it's hard to say because you you're skipping all those labour steps with just putting up the wall once and filling in the recesses. Yep. Whereas a traditional, you've got another three steps to do. Hard to say, cost-wise per square metre, it's tricky. Unless you build the same, exact same house. Yes. What about the um, the roof space? What did you do there? There is no roof space. It's um, from from the underside of the ceiling. It's 150 mil of foam before you've got the the ridges on the roof. Uh, what do you call it? The, the decking. The just just the yeah, air. It's a, a top deck sort of. Uh, yeah. Corrugated iron or something. But it's a different material to the walls. Uh, no, it's the same. Well, it's, same? It's, it's, a smoother, it's a smoother finish. We didn't have to paint it. You just peel off the plastic and it, it's just smooth. If you've ever seen the inside of a refrigerator or, or um, <laughs> a, nice, a nice cool room that you might walk into at a, at a bottle shop or something mm. and they've got the smooth walls, it's like that. Oh, if right. there's any splatter on it, you just wipe it off. Easy to clean. So the, well, these... Sorry, these are panels that are either 130 or 150 thick, depending on whether it's wall or roof. And, and what are the other dimensions of them? How, how long and wide are these panels? Well, our, our roof panels up the top there are six point... I've got these exact figures in front of me. So that's say 6.5 metres. And I think you could get to 7.2 before you needed to have a, a beam going through... Yeah, support beam. Mm-hmm. We've got about six metres across our living area with no support beam. That's 150 mil thick, the ceiling panels. Mm-hmm. And how wide is each panel? Oh, every panel's ceiling panels are one metre wide mm-hmm. and then wall panels are 1.2. So we designed the house before we had chosen the, the wall panel system and we found out later that they came in 1.2 sections. So so you would build, you would design your house as a... 2.4, uh, 3.6, or yep. 4.8, and we it worked out well that we only had a couple corners that we had to cut and mm-hmm. make shorter in one section, and then you use that off-cut in the next section anyway. Yep. So you also used um, heat pumps, and you'd chosen the quantum heat pump, I understand? Uh, the quantum. No, we uh, used the, the sandin. Oh, the, the sandin heat pump, sorry. For, the, for the, the laundry and the main bathroom. We've got three daughters, so there's going to be lots of hair washing in there eventually. <laughs> we use that one in our ensuite. Uh, in a rush to get in, we decided to put just a standard, standard uh, hot water heater, electric heater, and that was a mistake because uh, we can see from the study that's being done, we, we know what each item is uh, generating or uh, sorry, sorry, consuming, and we can see that from a little bit of use of our standard heat uh, hot water service compared to the heat pump which gets uh, a lot of use the comparison is is a lot um, i wish we had to put another heat pump in in on the other side of the house the underfloor heating is an interflow system a heat pump chiller it's a it just works on uh, you can get split systems so for, for the bedrooms we've got a skirting board that runs 
hot water through it as well. That's how we heat the bedrooms. But the main living area and the bathrooms have uh, underfloor hydronic heating. But it works out with the uh, structurally insulated panels and the air tightness and the, and the double glazing that the heat of the house is never a difference more than two degrees. So if we're, if oh. we're uh, 20, 23 degrees out in the living area, the heat dissipates into the other, into the other rooms. So because we've got the orientation, we've got sunshine coming in, heating up the slab, that airflow, well, the heat just disperses into the bedroom. So we've got a, a fairly balanced comfort. Even in the depths of winter, we hardly use the heating on in the bedrooms at all. Okay. Wow, that's very good. So um, it's hydronic actually through the, permeating the slab in the main living areas and then yep. a neat um, skirting board hydronic in the bedrooms. Is, what, is that what you're telling us? Yes, yes, a skirting, skirting board that yeah, you just run the water through. And they're um, zoned separately, are they, independently? Uh, yes, they're all, they've all got... Uh, the, the main living area has a few, few zones, but it's all just run through the one and then each bedroom has its own zone. Mm-hmm. Now, you've had your house rated uh, by Nathan's, which in, um, coincidentally we were just talking about on a very recent show, and you've got a rating of 7.1. What does that mean? Um, I'm not too sure of the star system. I'm very happy with the comfort. And, and with the electricity bill that we're getting, now we don't get a gas bill. And comparable to our old house, where we've halved our bills. The 7.1 system star rating, I understand, pretty good. And... Um, Queensland University Technology came and did a study and they did an air test on our house. It came back as, we've just had some of the data come back, we're still waiting on some. It came back as, we have two exchanges of air per hour, but a standard home, I think, can have about 15 changes of air per hour. So we got reports that that was very, very good. And and that's not a problem for health? Well, we just open a window for fresh air. Mm Mm-hmm. None of us have suffocated yet. <laughs> Do you have to concern yourself with any particular materials inside the house, given that you don't have much airflow? Yeah, we try not to burn things inside the house. That's <laughs> no, always a good thing. <laughs> no, I, I suppose, yeah. Well, we did get a new couch, and, and you know, you have that new car smell, and um, I'm sure there are some, some chemicals, but... Uh, we're not majorly concerned, but do open the windows for fresh air. We, we don't have any mould or issues like for, for humidity. The humidity is really good. On a winter's day, we can open up the windows, get fresh air in, and it's not like the house is cooling down completely. We can shut the windows again and, and the heat is still there. It's mm. sort of store, stored in the concrete. Yep. Whereas in a traditional home, you could open the windows. If it was a gas ducted heating, you'd lose all your heat straight away. And just on that emissions topic we should reassure listeners that the um, foam panels that you've got they're actually lined with a, a steel panel on the outside each side of those foam pa- um, yeah, panels the, the foam is sealed inside it's basically sealed inside yeah what sort of lighting did you use brett leds all throughout the house i think we did a test we had all the lights on one night and it was less than one kilowatt per hour hmm? Whereas I think, you know, the old, the old 100 watt globes have 10 of them on and that's a, a kilowatt hour. We'd have the whole house lit up and every light we could think of on and it was using less than a kilowatt per hour. Mm. I think that's pretty good. Very good. Very good. 
And um, you mentioned in passing a study. Queensland University Technology are doing a very detailed study on your house, aren't they? They're monitoring every power point, every bit of energy use in and out, but there's not a, a final report available on that yet. Is that That's correct? right. There was, a, there was a little bit of a glitch with some of the software, and uh, we're coming up to nearly a whole year. So due work commitments and not having that year's worth of data sort of halted us on having Sustainable House Day this year. We would have loved to have done it, but sort of those two factors, not the complete year of data and uh, work commitments turned up, but we'll be back next year ready to do it and we'll have nearly two years of data to share. For those who have just joined us, you are listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show and we're with Brett Machado talking about his sustainable house design. Do you get a sense at the moment of how much money you're saving with the power savings you're making? I think we're, we're very happy. From, from before, say this time of year, our gas bill was nearly $1,200 per quarter at the, at, the other, at the other house. One bedroom smaller, single glazed windows, the standard blinds. And now you um, don't even have gas connected, Brett. Now we don't even have gas connected and, and our electricity bill for this time of year is half of what our gas bill, just our gas just bill gas. was. Wow. And what sort of um, cooktop do you use? Induction. Mm-hmm. And that's working yeah. well, obviously. In, induction, yeah. I haven't lost any weight yet. So <laughs> <laughs> cooking is fine, yes. Mm. So you haven't gone as far as batteries at this stage? Well, we wanted to get a whole year of data before we... and, and uh, see how, how we live and then look into that. We've got a three-kilowatt solar panel system at mm-hmm. the moment and that doesn't meet our needs through through winter. So we'd have to increase that capacity there. And I think over the next year or so, we've got a lot of new things coming out. So we can hold off a little bit longer, but that is in our future plans, yes. So you've incorporated that into the house design? Yeah, we did make provisions with the electrician to to go to the the electricity meter. Then it should be nearly plug and play. I'd like to say it's that easy, but it's probably not. Well, we, um, we appreciate your dedication to the cause whereby you're giving us uh, the Machado house for a year without the batteries and then a comparison year with it. Oh, that wasn't our plan, but yes, you're welcome to <laughs> It <that>. is now. <laughs> it's going to be known as the Australian Machado house. <laughs> I, I like that, yeah. We're, we're, happy to, we're happy to share that data. So, so some things, like, like the heat pump, we use that in the middle of the day. We heat up the house from uh, 10.30 in the morning till... 2.30 in the afternoon, it's on a timer. It runs the, the hydronics and that sort of moves the heat around from where the, where the sun is hitting the slab. That moves it to where the sun's not hitting the slab, so that shares that, shares that heat. And also the air source is warmer, so you have that better efficiency. Mm. Britt, do you have monitoring around the house in any of the rooms to get a feel for how each of the rooms is performing? Yeah, we, we've got uh, the master bedroom has a, a monitor in. It's got the humidity sensor and a temperature gauge, and that's been sent back to Queensland University as well. So that's in the bedroom, did you say? That's in one bedroom, yeah, mm-hmm. and then we've got the other sensor in the, the main living area. The, the, the kids' bedrooms don't have any sensors in them. We've got another sensor in the pantry where there isn't, there is no hydronics, and there's another sensor at the front door which is on the south side of the house, sort of uh, out, out of the sunshine. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So we got we got actually local council have asked to monitor it as well, and that's coming up to a nearly a year's worth of data. And he's he's left us with some little one set temperature temperature loggers. So oh yeah, I'll be returning them to him in the in the in a couple of weeks, and he'll be giving me a year's worth of data for those as well. So to get the um, I asked about exact temperatures and they said they would just get them off the Bureau of Meteorology site. Mm. But I think there there are some fluctuations in, in temperature compared to the you know, you can look at the Bureau of Meteorology site and then get a, a temperature sensor outside and you can see there's a fluctuation of maybe three or four degrees. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure they factor that in. Yep, yep. And did you say that your LED lights are controllable as well? Yes, we, we looked at, uh, there was a CBUS system, I think it was, and we, we, I came across a, a different system that was a Wi-Fi-based one. And the rest of my family, for some reason, don't know how to turn lights off. So <laughs> I, um, my wife's pretty good at it, but the kids, they, they don't know how to use the switches. So these switches, you can set them to timers, like um, the main ensuite will have the fan turn off after five minutes. The walk-in robe lights will turn off after 15. To my wife's annoyance, she'll walk in there and she walks back out and she comes back in and the, and the lights are off. <laughs> so I haven't programmed all of them, but eventually they will do that. Uh-huh. Great. Well, Brett, we've just run out of time, unfortunately, but it's been a really interesting discussion. Thanks so much for your time. Yes, thank you, Brett. It's a pleasure. And good luck with all the recordings and information coming through in the future. I'll share it with you when I can. Oh, that'd be fantastic. We look forward to that. Thank you very much, Brett. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts for the science and technology show. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again next week. And don't forget to our sister program every Monday afternoon at 5pm. Thanks very much for your time. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This is an announcement about uh, the divestment movement. Since publicly supporting the Paris Agreement's two-degree limit, Commonwealth Bank, ANZ, NAB and Westpac have loaned a combined $5.6 billion further to fossil fuels um, projects around the world. It's time to send them a really clear message. If you choose fossil fuels, you'll lose your customers. That's exactly what the Market Forces volunteers will be doing on the 8th of October, giving customers across Australia the power to take a stand against the bank's sturdy lending activities on a national day of action. If you don't want your savings to be used to finance projects that destroy the environment and make climate change worse, 
Sign up to join us on Divestment Day 2016. Go to marketforces.org.au slash divestment day. If you want to help volunteer with that, go there as soon as possible and you'll see about a training weekend coming up. That's marketforces.org.au. Thank you. I wrote the first book about climate change way back in 1989 when I was a young man in my 20s. Now I'm in my 50s, so I've spent my life watching our political system try to cope with the biggest challenge humans have ever faced. So far, they've failed. I used to think that was about some failure of human psychology or our love of the status quo or something like that, but I've changed my mind. I think most people, faced with the spreading plague of drought and flood and failed harvest, are ready to take action. The problem is the fossil fuel industry. It's the most profitable enterprise in the history of the Earth. Exxon makes more money each year than any company in the history of money. And much of that profit is based on a simple fact. Alone among industries, it doesn't have to clean up after itself. We let coal and gas and oil barons use the atmosphere as an open sewer into which to dump carbon, their main waste product, for free. That's a sweetheart deal. Imagine you own a restaurant, and the city let you shovel your waste into the center of the street each night instead of paying for it to be carted away. You'd make more profit too. But soon the streets would be overrun with toxins and trash. Well, that's what's going on in our atmosphere right now. Every sensible economist has said that we should force the fossil fuel industry to pay for the damage carbon creates. But it hasn't happened because this industry of polluters is able to pervert our democracy with endless campaign contributions and lobbying money. I mean, our politicians should be forced to wear decals on their suits like NASCAR drivers. And here's the thing, we're not the radicals. We want a world a little bit like the one we were born into. Oil companies are the radical ones. They're willing to alter the chemical composition of the atmosphere in order to make more money. They've already run the carbon level in the atmosphere well past the safe line, 350 parts per million. Now they're trying for a world that, uh, well, it'll jeopardize the future of most living things. Does that seem right to you? So this is our challenge for the years ahead. If we can break their power, then the planet has a future. I don't know that we can. They are the ones with all the money. So we need to find other currencies, like passion, spirit, creativity. Sometimes we're going to have to put our bodies on the line and get arrested. It's the fight of our time, maybe the fight of all time. And we should all be honored to be a small part of it. Help ensure that our planet is protected for all future generations. Go to 350.org and join the fight today.